Now please remain standing for the reading of the word. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, the second chapter, verses 41 through 52. Hear now the word of the Lord. The parents of Jesus went to Jerusalem every year for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all of these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human form. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you for that reading, Reverend Bell. It was either out of kindness or foolishness, I'm still not sure which, that uh, we gave in as parents to our children's wishes to stay up all the way until the new year arrived. And so we put them in front of the TV with lots of blankets and pillows, assured that they would soon fall asleep, and we promised that we would wake them up at 11.45 so they could see the ball drop. And so Clara, pretty much you dozed off and you were asleep for most of the time, but her brother Benjamin stayed sitting up watching eyes glued to the TV until 12 o'clock came and so we all stood there together and we celebrated and brought in the new year and he was so excited to see what would happen when the ball finally dropped but as soon as it did he looked at us with this tired expression and then he said well my new year's resolution is to go to bed so uh, he is done with his New Year's resolution, and my guess is, is that the rest of us still have some work to do. Will you please join with me in prayer? Father, you hold all time in your hands. Not only do you hold what is old and what is new, you hold us in the present. You always hold us in the now. And so as we look forward to all that this next year will hold, and as we carry this past year full of memories with us, may you give us an ability to see clearly. May you give us an ability 
to hear what we need to hear so that we would be your people. Give us wisdom and courage for all that is ahead. May these words and the meditations of all our hearts bring honor and glory to you. We pray in thanksgiving always. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in one way or another, maybe you've heard it said, or maybe you've even said it, good riddance and goodbye. Thank goodness we can finally say out with the old year. The general consensus seems to be that most people can't wait to put enough distance between themselves and this past year. 2020, perhaps more than any other year in our collective memory, has been villainized, detested, and even negatively personified. Perhaps you saw the commercial for Match.com that featured Satan dating 2020. Please call me 2020, she says. So, where are you from, she asks. Satan responds by saying, hell. Me too, 2020 replies. The commercial features them reveling in empty theaters, gyms, football stadiums, even standing in front of a church with closed doors. The commercial ends with Satan saying, I just don't want this year to end. 2020 responds by saying, who would? The wording on the screen then changes from saying, make 2020 your year, to instead saying, make 2021 your year. Now, I'll refrain from giving you a full-blown theological assessment of the commercial. The basic point was clear. Most of us are ready to move on. 2020 just wasn't the year that we imagined for ourselves. It didn't match the profile we were looking for in our lives. So put the past in your rearview mirror and drive. Pedal to the metal. Whatever you do, don't look back. If you're like me, you've exhausted your descriptive words and phrases for this past year. More and more, I feel like I'm starting to sound like a cliché. We can murmur out of an abundance of caution and in these uncertain times in our sleep. I started to say that we accidentally sneezed these words out, but my instinct was to edit my words. Even sneezing has been redefined this past year. And we've said unprecedented so many times that it's become the precedent for our news updates and business reports. Fiona McPherson, a New Words editor at the Oxford English Dictionary, recently observed that many of the phrases that defined 2020 have gone from being used very occasionally to basically informing almost every single conversation that we have. McPherson went on to observe that in her more than 20 years with the Oxford English Dictionary, quote, I can't think of anything that has been similar, end quote. For most of us, if 2021 appeared as something of a momentary portal, like those we read about or see in science fiction, we would charge forward as fast as we can. We would dive through without giving much thought to what we'd left behind. Now, I don't blame you if this is how you feel, but here's the thing. Sometimes, 
in our haste to move on and to get going, we leave something of immeasurable importance behind. In today's gospel lesson, we join Mary and Joseph on the road for their journey home to Nazareth from Jerusalem. After a day of traveling on foot for a reasonable distance, what one commentator estimates to be about 20 or 25 miles, night falls and Mary and Joseph move between relatives and friends in search for their son. Have you seen him? Was Jesus on the road with you? They search in vain, coming up empty-handed. Surely the parental guilt and panic begin swirling in their minds as Mary and Joseph process that they'd left their boy behind. It's the moment in the movie Home Alone when Kate McAllister realizes they've left their son Kevin at home in their haste to get out of town. She screams his name and then faints. It's a parent's worst nightmare. Surely the the what-if questions flood their thoughts. Mary and Joseph would have to wait for the morning light before trekking back to Jerusalem. We can't help but imagine the sleeplessness, the, the tossing and turning. There is a lot that separates us from the first century, but surely the anxiety of a parent worried about their child bridges from that time to ours. Later, we'll read Mary's words. Your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. The Greek word that's used in this passage for anxiety denotes both a sense of pain and disaster. After three days of backtracking and retracing their steps and searching, Mary and Joseph finally find Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. I can't help but wonder if there was something about a father and mother's embrace of their son that they presumed to be lost that would later linger in Jesus' imagination when he tells the parable of the lost son. That parable is the one that Rembrandt kept reworking on canvas over and over again throughout his lifetime, trying to capture the emotional weightiness of the reunion between father and son. There is so much that we can say about this moment of discovery in Luke's text. Interestingly, this will serve as the only narrative in the Gospels that gives us a glimpse of Jesus as a boy. There are other apocryphal stories, that is, stories not recorded in the New Testament, about Jesus helping Joseph in his workshop and miraculously stretching a beam of wood to help his father finish a carpentry project. Another story not recorded in Scripture tells of Jesus breathing life into birds that were fashioned from clay. I find it fascinating that both of these stories are actually incorporated into the stained glass windows here at Peachtree. These stories evoke our holy imagination, reminding us that there was more to Jesus' goodness and care than can fit on the page. But they're not in Scripture, and we can neither confirm nor deny that these events took place. The only account of the boy Jesus that we find in all of Scripture is the one Luke shares with us today. One is then led to ask, what is it about this story that Luke wants us to grasp? 
In part, what we find is a Christ child who grows beyond the manger. To rightly hold on to the Christmas story is to remember that the good news of the incarnation is not simply that God comes near to us, but also that God will show us how to live and love and find hope by actually being among us, cognizant and responsive to our pains and struggles. The compassion and faithfulness of Christ cannot be fully realized in the cradle alone. Luke places this story before us to illustrate the full humanity of a living and breathing God. This entire narrative gives the reader a chance to hold the great mystery of Christ as being both fully human and fully divine. Here we find the Christ child growing in knowledge and in stature. In the words of Fred Craddock, let us at this stage of Jesus' life simply say that there were in him vague stirrings of his own identity, if not vocation, end quote. Luke is telling us more than an account of Jesus gone missing. He's also relaying that Jesus was brought up in the moral and ritual life of Judaism. Temple and synagogue formed and forged him. As an aside, I also think there's a valuable lesson in paying attention to the fact that the religious teachers listened to Jesus in the temple. This tells us something crucial about ancient Jewish life. At the core, a child was seen and listened to in this text. These adult Jewish teachers dignified a child by listening and then answering his questions with sincerity and respect. This was not the old axiom of children are being seen but not heard. Jesus as a child was both seen and heard. We can here learn something vital about what it takes to be a part of a religious framework that actually nurtures a thriving and maturing spiritual life. Questions from children can and should be answered with respect instead of being dismissed as being too elementary or insignificant. There is a reminder that none of us grow and develop in our faith and practice without the graciousness of others who walk with us. Just as Jesus must progress in wisdom, so must we all. Perhaps one actionable point of the sermon comes in your wrestling with whether you're helping or hindering the spiritual growth of others in this community. I'd encourage you to here be very specific. Think of names. Who are you helping, supporting, teaching, mentoring, or encouraging today or in this season of life? How are you listening and speaking to others in their journey of faith regardless of their age? Remember this. The intellectual and spiritual immaturity of others is simply the ground that requires your care, patience, and steadfast commitment. Although the Jewish religious leaders in the Gospels are sometimes criticized, here is a clear example of their excellence, shaping the very life and faithfulness of Christ. In this passage, we also find that Luke is remarkably adept at using echoes of Scripture in telling his story. 
the thoughtful reader can't help but remember Samuel's account from 1 Samuel chapter 2. In that passage, we read of the child Samuel who answered God's call for his life, growing in both stature and favor before God and the people. I'm compelled that Luke is riffing on this account to record that just as Samuel responded to a divine call, here Jesus is doing the very same. But this isn't the only way Luke carefully weaves his gospel tapestry. Later, toward the end of Luke's gospel, we'll hear of another time when after three days, those who love Jesus will search for him amid great anxiety because of his absence. Now, some scholars suggest that this is reading too much into the account, but I can't help but think that Luke is aware of how the absence of Christ compels those close to him to search him out. The presence of Christ makes a difference in the lives of those who love him and call him friend. Very practically, I think Luke helps us to bring our contemporary questions of faith and practice into view. In our times of anxiety, pain, and disaster, what do we search for? What do we leave behind? What do we forsake in an effort to get to our next destination as quickly as possible? Here's the point. We find ourselves in a new year full of possibilities and hopes. We long to move forward. But hear this caution. Be careful of leaving so quickly that you leave something important behind. In Luke's account, Mary and Joseph cannot go home without Christ. Despite the moments of lostness, they have to take Christ with them. The gospel lesson is a reminder to take the fullness of Christ with you as you go forward into a new year. More generally today, I would also encourage you to be careful of abandoning the other lessons this past year has imparted Yes, there has been real and true loss, grief, and tragedy. But not everything of this past year has been blighted. Some of you have had more time to spend with family and loved ones. Personally, I've watched my wife gracefully juggling work and family in a way that is nothing short of incredible. In this coming year, let's not lose sight of the love and gratitude that we have for those that we've spent time with. In our house, we've started watching movies or playing games on Friday nights. We've marked out certain times as special and protected. It would be a loss for us to neglect this once the virus is over. In saying this, I know that many of you have been apart from others. I've often been reminded that this past year has been especially hard on those of you who are living alone. Even in the days that have been hard, I would hope that this past year has reinforced that community, friendships, and relationships are a vital piece of who we are. The song lyric goes, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. May this new year compel you to give voice to the fact that we need one another. Many of us now know more honestly what it means to be dependent on another person. 
in a number of ways. We've seen and come to know the sacrifices others make on our behalf to keep us safe, happy, fed, and cared for. I'd like to think that this past year has also taught us something of compassion and empathy. We've gone from seeing loss and sickness at a distance to knowing it close at hand. We've worried for, prayed with, and wept alongside one another. Last year, I witnessed social and personal transformation time and again. I heard some people be cold and cavalier with life and death. But then, when suffering came so close that it hurt, I've often witnessed a change in attitude and speech. We have come to know this past year that life is always precious and valuable. Scripture has always taught this, but that doesn't mean we've always had the ears to listen. I've been reminded so often of Jesus going to the bedside of Lazarus. There is something of divine comfort in a God who came near and wept over the losses that grips our hearts. Many of you have had to struggle through this strange time, this time of knowing the importance that we must learn how to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to mourn with those who are mourning, sometimes even in the same day or even in the same hour. And in everything, I think the currency of faith, hope, and love might now have more meaning in our world that has recently endured so much. As a people knit together, it's no small thing for us to say that faith, hope, and love don't pass away. In the end, maybe 2020 marked the start of a healthy habit, a new practice of kindness, or the simple awareness that you can brighten the life of someone else by picking up the phone and giving voice to your care. Yes, we should be honest in saying that 2020 was a hard year for so many of us. We stand at the precipice of a new year, and we long for the possibility of change for the better. But let us not forget those things that have sustained us and made us better and more faithful. And above all, as we prepare to embrace the future with all the possibility that it holds, let us be sure that we don't leave the God we love and who loves us behind.